0: What up, my friend, and welcome back to The FrothCast, a podcast about...
1: Now remember, that wipeout. <laughs> oh, sure, <dude. laughs>
0: I'm your host, Hendonesia, and this is episode 13. This episode features a chat I had with my friend and filmmaker, Bretton Carrasso, who has been living in Bali, Indonesia, since February of last year. Bali lockdowns, filmmaking, empty lineups, and giving back to the people and the place that have given us both so much. It's all here in this episode, so stick around, because it's going to be bagus sekali. Aloha and wasabi, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome back to the Frothcast. Firstly, Happy International Women's Day to all and thank you so very much to the strong and inspiring women in my life who I'd be nothing without. Couple quick updates for you all before we get into my remarkable chat with filmmaker Brett Caruso. On the fantasy surf front, Kelly Slater has pulled out of Australia due to injury and will be replaced by Australia's very own Mikey Wright. On the women's side, unfortunately, Caroline Marks tested positive for COVID-19 and as such will not be competing until she tests negative and is cleared for competition. It is believed that she will be replaced by Japan's Amuro Suzuki. Best wishes and safe recovery to both Kelly the Goat Slater and Caroline Marks. On that note, the tour is back and the world's best surfers are headed straight to Sydney, Australia. An anonymous mole sent me an audio clip from the charter flight. Let's check it out.
2: Folks, uh, this is your captain speaking. My name is Igo. Over the Falls. On behalf of Lance Bass and the entire airline crew, welcome aboard Credit Card Air Airlines flight 69420 with nonstop service from Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia. Our flight time today will be the length it takes most average humans to read Barbarian Days. Don't worry, there will be no reading quiz at the end of this flight. We will be flying at an altitude of somewhere between Nathan Fletcher's airs and a freak set at Nazare, with a ground speed as fast as white lightning on a bag of, hey, how you going? At this time, please make sure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their full upright position and that your seat belt is correctly fastened. No, this is not a leash. It does not go around your leg. Please note, it is strictly prohibited to play any of the following during the duration of this flight. Kaigo, Surf Ninjas, In God's Hands, Blue Crush, That First Glide, Stand Up Paddler's Unite Documentary, Airborne, Brink, Elf, Any Sequel to Dumb and Dumber, Drop Dead Fred, Creed, Nickelback, Spin Doctors, Insane Clown Posse, Hoodie Allen, Asher Roth, Jersey Shore, Dancing with the Stars, Speed 2, Cruise Control, Street Fighter the Movie, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, Pogs, Uno, Cornhole, Heads Up, Mancala, shit Scrabble, Yahtzee, Parcheesi, Trivial Pursuit, Jenga, Pong Stars, and pretty much anything with Guy Fieri. Your portable electronic devices must be set to airplane mode until an announcement has been made upon arrival. That means no swiping on Raya mates. Flight attendants, cabin crew doors on automatic cross check and prepare for takeoff. Here we go.
0: Wow, what a flight that must have been. I'm jealous of whoever will be frothing in the nerd cave during those events down under and wish all the athletes and staff a healthy, safe, yet fun time in the land of Oz. Speaking of traveling and how much I fricking miss it. I've been thinking a lot lately about where I will go once international travel is safe and open to do so again. The first place that comes to mind for me, seriously, of course, is Bali, Indonesia. Personally, Bali is the perfect balance of good waves, exciting nightlife, tranquility, rich culture, breathtaking scenery and friendly, hospitable locals, all at a pretty affordable price. In years past, as a Goofyfoot DJ, I was able to surf a pumping left-hand point break or beach break for hours during the day, clean up a bit that night, and DJ tz, 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 a few of my favorite clubs into the early hours of the morning. Get up and do it all over again the next day. Can't tell you enough how much I freaking love Bali and the locals and the people there. As I continue to think about the dreamland, I couldn't help but wonder what it was like last year, what it's like now, and what the future holds for the Island of the Gods. To answer these questions and more, Poseidon and I summoned our friend and frothy filmmaker, Breton Carrasso, who has heeded the call with flying colors. Brett is an extremely talented filmmaker who's worked alongside legends like Paul Fisher, Taj Bro, K.S. Waveco, Lexi Dupont, Reef, and a long list of other prestigious brands and individuals. So, without further ado, my friends and frothers, please enjoy my conversation with Brett Carrasso. What's up? All right, we're just going to let it rip and uh, Salamat pagi to my buddy Brett here. Everybody, welcome Brett Carrasso to the FrothCast. Salamat pagi, yapa kabar, my friend. How are you doing?
1: Uh, good, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, hell yeah. What's going on over there in Bali today? Uh, it's actually a beautiful sunny day. It's, um, it's a little bit of rainy season, so we get these you know beautiful blue days every now and again. But um, yes, well, it's kind of a little bit smaller this week with a new swell on the forecast just kind of had a weekend. Um, went big on Friday and just kind of recovering for the rest of the rest of the weekend. So just enjoying it. Sick. And it
0: looks like you got a nice little blogger set up in the back there, are all nice white plush macrame and whatnot. Are you in Changu or where are you at in Bali?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in my uh, my villa uh, room here in Changu. I um, I got hooked up with a with a good friend early on, and um, and he had a three bedroom house, so I kind of actually got to sneak in here during quarantine. And uh, when they all left, I kind of looked after this place and then um, ended up moving in here and got a room and, uh, you know, I, I can't complain. I was living in my van back home. This uh, nice joint has, has been an upgrade. That's sick, man. Well, we miss you
0: back here in San Diego. I'm here in North County. And let me tell you, it's freezing. I surfed pipes today and it was my hands were numb after I could barely take my wetsuit off. So you're not missing out too much. Waves were Okay but I would gladly switch places with you for sure. I mean, firstly, what's it like right now in Bali as far as like restrictions and surfing? And you said you kind of had a big one the other night. Are nightclubs open or bars and stuff? What's the scene like?
1: Yeah, you know, that's um, it, it's not completely opened up. It's definitely still a little bit of restriction as far as the nightlife scene goes. Um, everything's closed by nine at the moment, and that's fluctuated a little bit throughout the last year. But over the last few months, and kind of the more consistent timeline, it's been about nine o'clock. So you have restaurants and bars that um, are able to open and able to host, but they kind of just have to cut it short. And I don't know if you've ever been here before, but I'm, I'm sure you have. Dude. It's it's a bit of a nightlife scene and where, you know, things were open um, all hours of the night and you could get, you know, full dinners at 2 a.m. and stuff. So it's a little bit of a change for owners here and businesses here, which has been unfortunate. And Been a bit of a rough thing for people to kind of you know have to pivot through but i think that you know they're trying to do what they can to keep the life here uh, still going and and people kind of you know the locals everybody still wants to get together and have a few beers every now and again so you know there's still a little bit of life left and and um and people are still enjoying it
0: yeah i gotta say i mean i was gonna get to this a little bit later but bali is by far one of my favorite travel destinations i've been there over six times I was there twice two years ago and I was playing at the back room at Mason in Changu quite a bit. I've played single fin a few times and Semniak as well. What's going on? Is back room still pumping and Mason and whatnot? Or is it?
1: Dude, I haven't been to back room in like definitely a few months, to be honest. It it does pump and I think it's still going on. But you know, you always used to be that place you'd almost hit around midnight. Mm-hmm. and then like ride out the evening like kind of late hours and because that nine o'clock curfew is instilled still or it, it's kind of in place um i haven't really been there yeah shit. it's kind of changed to like i mean back room is all time and i remember when i came here in the beginning that was kind of like the hot spot to meet girls and kind of cruise and get nice drinks and it's a really good spot for dinner as well but it's almost pivoted to like go to the bar for a few drinks and then go to like a villa or a house party and kind of hang with homies And just, yeah, it's like reminds you of being in high school or something eh, where you like go out and be social for a little bit. And then everybody goes back to their little private digs.
0: Right. There's a kegret viewpoint. Let's freaking cruise. hundred percent. Right on, man. Well, I'm still jealous of you being there, but let's rewind a bit and figure out like, how did you kind of end up being there in the first place? I remember Fish had a wedding like in March or something like that. And everybody, all the homies were out there. It looked like one hell of a time. Is that when you first went out there?
1: yeah i um i came out february 10th for fish's bachelor party in karamas and there was about 10 of us or so that came out for that and luckily we got fun waves and it was kind of just this little boys trip out to the hang at commune and um and then from there we kind of transitioned and started staying in simon and kind of were there for the whole wedding and meet, met up with chloe and all the girls the family and friends from the goldie and everything and then and then people started to fade off after the wedding and i kind of hung around and uh, i mean it was a it was a hell of a wedding time you know what i mean like <laughs> those two people are some of my favorite people in the world fishing and chloe and um, i've known fish for years we did, you know, all the fishtails back in the day and traveled the world together. So,
0: so good. We'll get into that for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, it was, um it was good to just see everybody from his hometown and, and reconnect with everybody. And it was kind of a bender of a month, to be honest with you. Like after his wedding, he did a big show at um the lawn tie spot. And it was maybe the biggest show that he's, he's had there before. It was like 2000 plus people. Oh,
0: i saw that i saw billboards for that yeah
1: right right yeah it was it was highly promoted and it it, um it gave everything it was supposed to give you know it it held its expectation up so it was it was a good time all around
0: damn okay so there you were for the wedding and then after that what is it? March by that point, and then things kind of start happening.
1: Yeah, sorry. So after the wedding, I, I kind of I felt like I didn't really surf much. <laughs> I was on this bender of trip, and um and we just had that much fun that I was like, oh, you know, like I'm in Bali, I'd really love to kind of at least get a few waves and try and you know put some time in. And um so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just stay till March. I had a job, I think March 10th or 11th, um, and then I was actually supposed to go on this tour with Fish or towards the end of March to do mexico and california for spring break mm. and so i kind of was in touch with those guys back home and i had my ticket planned for like maybe march 11th so i was only going to stay an extra week or two and then my ticket got postponed till like the end of march because everything was kind of starting to get shut down yeah. and then i started talking to all my clients back home including fish and brett and they were like yeah you know that tour is looking like it's going to get canceled altogether like mexico might be a go but all the states is canceled And it was, you know, we were kind of like watching this thing go down in real time of just the whole world getting shut down piece by piece. And from there, my ticket kind of got postponed to the end of March. And then, which, you know, I had no complaints about, obviously, because I was kind of living a good life still here, like in this isolated bubble of like, you know, the whole world might be shutting down, but Bali is still living free. And then um, the ticket got canceled altogether. And I realized, okay, I think I'm here for a long run. So at that point you know, we were like coming into April, all my jobs through March got canceled. All my jobs in April got kind of postponed. And it was like this waiting period of like, okay, work is for me, number one. It's kind of like how I dictate where I go and, and like what my schedule is going to be. So when all the jobs kind of got postponed and canceled, it was kind of like, okay, put your feet down and kind of enjoy where you're at. And, um, and let's try and ride this out and not spend too much money and see what the hell happens. So yeah, I was not complaining one bit though. I just kind of started surfing the right out here at Canggu and, Kind of hiding out.
0: I mean, I think of all the places in the world when things are happening and you have a split decision to make that. If I could go back in retrospect, I would choose to be in Bali. It's one of the more affordable places. And without... The unfortunate loss of a lot of the tourism, the only upside of that is that there was less crowded lineups. Obviously, a lot of the locals have suffered, and we'll talk about that. I don't know, like to be there during that time with less people, some of the films that you've made, seeing the guys out at Ulus with like barely a few people out, and then surviving off, when I was out there, $20 a day if you do it right, not a bad place to do it.
1: No, yeah, I'd say um, $20 if you're, if you're kind of living, living a bit, you know, and having one good, like good meal during the day. But yeah, I mean, through that March April period, they literally closed the beaches and every single one of my, I didn't have many friends at that point. I was kind of just um like Ty, I can't thank Ty enough. Ty kind of took me under his wing when everybody kind of left and um, let me stay at his, in his studios and kind of like would go out with him on Friday nights to the lawn. And Ty kind of like, was a huge center point for kind of introducing me to a lot of the boys here and um, and just kind of like making me feel at home and giving me a place to stay when things were kind of like all thrown up in the air. So uh, he he was really kind of a huge part in me being able to kind of like make it through that period. And then I got linked in with his uh, property manager who ended up becoming a good friend of mine, James and uh, James Mitchell. And he kind of is the one that put me up in his place and he ended up bailing he was like at first just going oh dude we're going to score empty waves like just ride this out with me and then next thing you know he's booked a trip back home to new zealand and asked me to stay at his villa and look after it so through that period like everybody had left and leave, but like james and a bunch of local crew that kind of lived here and had villas here and then all the tourists left in the big sweep through april and they literally closed down the beaches and they were kind of doing this thing where at around eight thirty, the petrelon or like the the military or or police kind of service would show up at the beaches and whistle everybody off the beach that was already there, like walking their dogs or sneaking a surfing. Mm. And they'd kind of try and shame the people that were they would they catch. But if they didn't catch you, you kind of do this like six a.m. like sunrise to eight thirty a.m. surf with literally no one in the water because not only did everybody leave, but like people were scared because they heard the beach was closed. And if you kind of like understood how they're regulating that closure of the beach. I was scoring with like, you know, two guys in the water, the sandbar and the right at the river mouth for weeks on in with just like maybe a handful of people tops, which if you've ever served here before, man, that river mouth, even now can have like 50 guys on it, you know, and it can be a bit of a, a battle Yeah, and and the local crew aren't really like that forgiving. If, if they want that one, they're taking that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: I surfed the left in front of uh O3 and surfers. I surfed the left.
1: Yeah. So that would have nobody on it. Oh my God. And so, what we would do sometimes, we'd get like whistled out of the river mouth, paddle down to the sandbar. The guy would get whistled out down there, and we just paddle over to that reef and kind of surf that left. And like they would only be able to regulate, like the the line in the sand is drawn right there. I don't know; it's an interesting kind of thing between Paranon and Chingu. Yeah. And so the two catchalons <laughs> there that kind of run it, or, or Bonjar. And so we'd almost like. It wasn't like the nicest, most respectful thing to do, I guess, but we would be able to avoid kind of this like regulation for a few hours and be able to surf those waves, you know, with nobody around, which dude, to me, I was, I felt like I was in a dream.
0: So that was for two months. You're playing this game of kind of cat and mouse for about two months.
1: Yeah. So March to May.
0: All right. So you're saying that the beaches were shut down around 8:30. You're inside for most of the day. Were there any other restrictions within that general area going on with Bali?
1: Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. There was a point there where they had barricades that were built in the roads. I remember in Chenggu, there's a few of them to keep people confined to kind of their their area where their Banjar would kind of be able to regulate. During the days and in the evenings, you couldn't really leave your like close vicinity of where you lived. Because they'd have Bonjars set up in, and Bonjar's is kind of like the regulators or like the, the village kind of police in a way of like people who kind of regulate um, their area. And um, they'd have them set up at these barricades and wouldn't let you in unless you live there. So you couldn't go to, you know, beaches down the way. Um, you couldn't go to Ulus. You couldn't kind of leave unless it was like for the grocery store or, you know, to sneak off to go surf or to get like little to go. You kind of couldn't leave your zone um and that was weird man that was like not really what you'd expect from from bali culture at all but they were pretty scared for a little while there like i remember there was like rumors going around too that they thought it was Boules, like the white people that brought in the virus and that were the one that that were the host so there was a little bit of fear uh mongering if you will around like news networks and just kind of in like people's like i don't know if you can remember that time though There was so much unknown for all of us around the world i remember being glued to my phone at certain hours just because you're like getting this news intake and you're trying to like everybody's trying to discover what this virus is about like how are we going to avoid it as individuals and i think news is even more less uh it's it's even harder to trickle down in in areas like this and it's it's like easily misunderstood so i think there was just a lot of confusion about where it was coming from how it was kind of being transferred and like what you could do to avoid it so yeah i remember there's like barricades there's restrictions um there was times where like you just you couldn't really do much like everybody was kind of confined to just being staying at home and being at home and that was weird it was so tough and weird but i mean you know when you're home it, you're kind of indoor outdoor no bali house is completely indoors so you're still like outdoors um, hanging by a pool or, or kicking it by a fan. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely a strange time.
0: Yeah. I saw recently before leading up to this, I was looking at a few YouTube clips and some of these people drove by Kuda and Seminyak and Chunggu, and they kind of compared the difference and Kuda was just done, closed. There's nothing open. And Seminyak was not much going on a few people in changu but to see that happening i mean kudo was already as far as i understand back in the day it's a sprawling bali you know kudo used to be pretty lively with the clubs and all that but eventually it moved off to seminyak then to changu then to Pernan, Barawa and all that but um you yeah, got to see these videos with a lot of these establishments completely closed like a ghost town in kudo was pretty just really sad and and crazy and scary to see it was insane
1: it's so sad yeah you can only imagine how many people are hurting from that but to be totally honest with you even now and what what are we in we're in march now i remember over the new year i would drive through simoniac and it was still crazy quiet like crazy quiet and then through the new year or like maybe a little bit before it started to like pick up a little bit now like you go in there's like a little bit of action but a lot of those like a lot of those streets still have just closed, 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 close 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 you know and it's it's bizarre. And like, I think you mentioned, it's just, it's a little bit sad. It's like devastating for not only a culture, like, like a a lively culture that once was thriving, but also like the local people who are suffering from it. It's a devastating kind of moment, I think. But like, if there's, if there's anything that we can guarantee about Bali, it's that people will, will still come back is that people from around the world love this island. Mm -hmm. And it's got a global market, unlike many islands I've ever seen in the world, where you have people from, you know, Russia from japan from you know new zealand from uh all over europe uh, from the americas and everybody loves it and everybody comes back and everybody wants the snakes in time so it's um it's still a hot spot on the map and hopefully with within time and within kind of has has the world kind of takes on the safety measures and, and is able to kind of like you know make some some big calls as far as like ensuring people's um, safe travel and stuff, it can bounce back um, as an island and as a community and, and as, a, as a thriving economy.
0: Dude, once they open the floodgates, it's going to be like people <laughs> chumming the waters and sharks going absolutely apeshit. I mean, surfing is bigger than it's ever been. The economy, the tourism is going to be booming once those gates are open. And let's pray that it happens sooner than later. But uh, those lineups, you better be enjoying them now while they're relatively manageable because it's going to be... Gnarly.
1: Oh man, dude, there's one session. I remember that me, this guy Singo and, uh, and a friend Turbo, we rocked up to Karamas early, early morning. And it was an empty beach, like completely empty beach and pumping Karamas, like full solid Karamas. I don't know if you saw like Eli Hanneman's clip where he gets this perfect right tube at Karamas. It was that day, but it was in the early morning before they got there. And we go to paddle out. And Ty is loading his ski on the beach there with Kobe, Marlon, and Keon. And it was those four guys in the lineup and me and two of my friends. And we were all just like trading off. And obviously, like, like they had the ski. So I remember when I was paddling out, Ty just dropped Kobe off into one. And it was just absolute six-foot bomb. Kobe's just standing there, arms behind his back, just through the main section of Karama just stuck spit out and i was like paddling out through the channel like oh my god that was and he kicked out right in front of me i was like dude what a way to start the morning and kobe was just off his head like you know absolutely stoked out of his mind i think after kobe got that good one ty was like you're driving now i'm serving they wait for these big bombs that would come through that none of us wanted a part of and then these other ones that would come through that were still bombs they're scary as fuck like you just got to pick your one because all of us were just sitting there and it was like glassy and just perfect. And I remember hugging Turbo when we got out of the water. This guy, Tyler from West Oz, just hugging him, be like, that was one of the most special surfs I've ever had in my entire life, you know? And like something that you could like write down in your journal is like, oh, what would be a dream session for me? Is like, oh, maybe. Pumping clean, you know, solid karamas and nobody out, just like a few of the boys.
0: Yeah, that's insanely special and tattoo that onto your brain if you haven't already. Like frame it and put it in the memory bank forever because I'm jealous and that sounds like a mental freaking time.
1: Yeah, it was. It was one of those moments. I was like, I oh, maybe I should be filming more, but to have that experience as a surfer too, you're just like, oh you know what? Like these are the moments that kind of push us and in, in. just make you so thankful to be alive and be here in Bali, especially right now. It's like. I wouldn't trade that for the world, you know?
0: For sure. And sometimes we need to get out of the nerd cave and get a couple for ourselves because that's why we're doing it in the first place to remind us
1: why we do it for sure. (laughs) Uh, 100%, yeah. And it's it's pretty sick to be in the water with guys like Marlon, Keon, Ty, and Kobe. Those guys are such incredible surfers that the way that they kind of look at the waves, the ones they pick off, and just the way that they're able to flawlessly kind of like put themselves in perfect positions and get totally tubed is just something you like you you're able to learn a lot from and you take mental notes from and, and it inspires you in big ways of just like okay i got completely pummeled on that last one or whatever it is or like oh yeah i was kind of ahead of it on that last one like maybe i need to park it more and then you watch ty and he just sticks his entire arm in there and just like puts himself in the most critical position while you're paddling back out And you're like yes like okay let's do this and he kind of it amps you up in such big ways and, and then to be able to laugh and line up with all those guys it's like wow like I don't know. A dream. Absolute dream. So,
0: When that was all going down, was there... I mean, I've been there for Niyipi, which is a very interesting experience. Niyipi is there. So it's the Hindu uh, holiday where they kind of close down all the shops. Every single thing on the island is closed. It's a day of rest and thinking about things and whatnot. So was it to that effect that they closed things down for those two months or was it mainly just the beaches they focused on where restaurants closed and other places or...
1: Yeah, if i recall right Nebbi was kind of the the initiation of things closing down so i think once Nebbi kind of um occurred they didn't allow things to completely open up after that obviously power came back wi-fi came back you were able to like function as a normal kind of like person and then like oh op- you know restaurants were open during the day but I, I remember at one point it was a seven o'clock dinner curfew it was pretty quiet a lot of restaurants closed down and then we're trying to do you know, Gojek, which is like their Uber Eats here. Mm -hmm. And that was just tough for businesses to stay open. I mean, I think there were so many restaurants, including like the lawn, even. I remember doing a video for them to try and help them promote that they were going to do to-go services while this whole thing was closed and people couldn't go to these like bigger venues. Oh, you know what? Yeah, they did. They really closed down actually all those big venues and couldn't let anybody in Mm -hmm. because of the big capacities. And they just didn't want to do that. And so those places literally had to just go to to to-go and that was tough. man. I think that how staffed up and how, you know, what their kind of like their, their normal revenue stream was during the year had kind of just been like sliced in quarters. And I think it was really a hard transition for a lot of businesses. And it was tough for us too. We didn't really know like what to do or where to go or, or you're kind of just spending a lot of time at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and that was cool. You could like kind of, you know, push yourself into these creative modes, but there was a lot of like downtime and it was kind of it was like I remember going and surfing in the morning, and then around eight thirty, I wouldn't really do much. Mm. There was like I'd work out at home, I'd um, you know phone call friends and catch up, and I'd work on my computer on some edits until that thing blew up, and then it was kind of yeah, it was a really quiet period for a few for a little while there.
0: Yeah, I saw that for a while. There was a lot of projects like uh, the People Must Macan, and a few other projects that were really trying to generate some help for the locals because the individuals were kind of suffering because 60% of the economy is based on tourism, give or take 60%. And when that's all taken away, I mean, the people from the drivers to working at the restaurants and nightclubs and other places are drastically affected. So for a while, yeah, it was pretty dire. still like sure there's drastic effects going on with the locals and whatnot has it improved are they getting more jobs back and are things starting to kind of slowly open back up again or
1: yeah i'd say it's slowly starting to open back up but i think you know big resorts like uh like potato head for instance that would employ probably over you know a thousand people they literally shut their doors and i don't think they've opened back up all those big clubs and bars in simoniac are still totally shut down so like the w and all these places that are on the beach there that would be employing a large group of people and local people are still kind of like closed doors. That was tough, I think, like you said, for the local people. And I think when you got out of Changu and Simuniac and stuff and you kind of went to Denbisar, it looked like things were still kind of like functioning as normal. Like if you needed to drive through to go get whatever, it looked like things were still kind of moving as normal. But when you really think about how the economy works as far as like, you know, building and, and the tourism, all that being completely cut down, shut off yeah it was tough and and back home fortunately people have been able to lean on the government in some way with stimulus checks or unemployment and that just doesn't exist here so the idea of of people who were already you know just able to kind of like make make sure their families are getting fed every month without really like a longevity um, savings plan or anything like that we're now like hung up in the in the crosshairs of just this like scary moment and um I'm not sure if they've been totally be like able to recover but i know that things are starting to move again you know there's a lot of construction going on still there's places that are trying to like open their doors even for the short hours that are available you know people are doing the best that they can to try and provide whatever business in life they can for people who would work for them and and do work for them Mm -hmm. Um, but i know that it's it's not the thriving um economy that it once was
0: yeah that's crazy to think about and as far as you know is there any plans to open it up for travel anytime soon? Is there any word about that
1: or? Yeah, you know, the funny thing about Bali is that you get one, one bit of news one day and then the next week it's completely transitioned to something different. There was an article that just got published about how Bali's trying to open their doors to, to the public, you know, tourism again, and that they want to be the first island in the in the Indonesian archipelago to be able to provide, you know, open tourism and, and, and tourist visas as soon as possible so i know that anybody that's that's working for the government or that is been here and and local here is doing the best they can to push that government to to kind of like open the doors but i think one thing that we've kind of noticed is they're kind of following the global kind of understanding of the virus and like their global regulations in a way of like what the states are doing or what australia is doing in order to kind of combat you know this the best they can Mm -hmm. and so that's like know to leave bali you need to get an antigen test at this point which is like a nose swab um and just you know have tests like every 48 hours whenever you're traveling you know australia is not opened up so they're kind of not really taking or opening themselves up to to full 100 internationals and there are like different ways like business and investors people like that getting in but um or if you have your ketosh, you can kind of come back but yeah, they're still trying to figure that out and you get news that they're going to, you know, make something new happen, but then the next week it changes. So I'm, um, I'm apprehensive to say that, you know, to claim anything at this point, it's kind of like just sit back and watch and hope for the best. Yeah,
0: for sure. Let's hope for the best and that more people can come and support those businesses that have struggled and the individuals and help out. We'll get more into that later to plug a couple projects that support that. But I was wondering back when you said the restrictions kind of started, you'd go surf and then you would have the rest of your day at home. Did that inspire you to kind of get back into filmmaking and editing? I mean, I know you've done it forever going back to Tales and prior. Did you actually, firstly, did you go to film school? Is that how you got involved with filmmaking?
1: Uh, man, I went to film school for a little bit, not actual film school, but um, but I was studying film in college. I went to a junior college and then I was trying to get into Chapman and USC and I got denied on my first time of doing that. But I was still I was already making films and I was kind of making surf films um, and traveling with a lot of like local pros in San Diego, like Zach Keenan and Jeremy Sherwin. And those guys took me to Canada at one time and we ended up making a film with Pete DeVries, uh, Jeremy Sherwin and, and Keenan and brought it back and showed it at Reef headquarters. And that's how I kind of got this job with Reef. And and through this, um, I mean, it was a really basic contract, but it was essentially that I was gonna travel with the surf team and, and like, start to pursue a dream of of surf filmmaking. And I kind of held off on school at that point. I kind of like um, let school kind of become secondary and was, was willing to kind of put my energy into pursuing this opportunity that I felt was a dream of, of on every level you know getting paid getting to connect with better surfers and ultimately being able to travel and shoot, shoot places like Kauai or or, um, or Bali that I'd never been able to get to myself so or at least to go shoot to so yeah from there got propelled like nutty was running the team at that point introduced me like was like yo we're bringing bottle seds and fish over from the aussie team we're going to bring them on to the american team oh my and god and he was like and you're going to work with this guy fish to to do these like fish tails that he's starting and i remember seeing videos of the guy i was just gonna be like, are you kidding this guy looks loose as a nut like i'm not <laughs> working with this cat it's too loose. and Nutty's like nah nah you'll like him and he came into town we I took about a nightlife on in san diego one night and we got absolutely after it and uh, we became best buds after that and uh and it was sick it kind of propelled a big relationship for us to do tales, and and then through that like as i was kind of growing as a man but also like working with fish on that i kind of was encouraged by my brother really to like use my skill set to try and tell bigger stories and so i started working with like some social justice films started trying to do like a little bit more commercial stuff just to make money i was doing Perfect. nightlife videos back then as well like mm-hmm. um, for clubs and and djs and stuff like that to promote you know just to make money really yeah. it was like you no know, promotional videos that were easy and, and i got free drinks on a saturday Yeah, and i'd make a coin and it's like cool like let's try and keep this 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 ball rolling so so yeah from there i kind of just like i like always wanted to continue making surf films but after like Fish and Seds became bareback DJs and they got into Cutsnake.
0: I played with them a few times.
1: Yeah, bro, I remember.
0: Yeah, I played with them at, at the Standard and in Newport. Oh my God, good times. Anyway, <laughs> legends.
1: <laughs> I think I remember watching a video actually of you playing at the Standard with the boys and I was so jealous. Like, that looks so fun. Oh, it was loose. Those guys are lords. Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. But um, yeah, anyway, he started just getting into other sides of filmmaking. Hey, so I kept doing it. I've been doing it ever since you know i've been doing shooting ski films the last few years with um with lexi dupont and um, worked with carl Fosbet up in in canada for a little bit as i was kind of doing these other things a lot of my surf crew kind of just got older and like it was either you know focusing on other stuff or just wasn't surfing in the same way and like when brino would come to town i'd get linked up with him and when taj came in it was like still on tour and was surfing with the lowers i'd like get linked up with him and i had these awesome opportunities to kind of like you know, keep these relationships that I built, even with fish, really kind of going within this filmmaking aspect, but, or surf filmmaking aspect, but it started to become like a bit of a young man's thing in San Diego. Cause like the up and coming Groms kind of started to have this, like, um, a little bit more dominance than kind of what the older guys had within their market. Mm. And I wasn't really tied in with that as, as much. So it kind of like phased me out in a way. And I was also trying to make bigger money. My responsibilities had changed like, I needed to make like a little bit bigger paycheck so i started focusing on just commercial stuff working with like perry gerskow and orion owens and some of my good boys back home that are really talented artists and filmmakers and yeah that's where kind of my interest would be so then coming out here i like left all my gear back home like orion and i share red and um and i have a sony fs 700 with a water housing and long lenses and tripods and 4k monitors and everything and I just didn't bring any of it you know I brought my little Sony a6500 and a 70 to 200 and a 24 to 7 or 24 to 105 Mm -hmm. and I was like oh just shoot some photos for the crew and then I brought a drone and yeah during like lockdown I was like trying to dig through old footage and edit up old stuff and my old laptop that I had ended up getting overheated and absolutely got toasted. So the oh. GPU just burned up oh, and then sure. i was shooting yeah i was shooting for a tie one morning at, at sandbar and it's like some offshore winds got into my drone and took down my drone so i was sitting in the middle of this lockdown with not really any income and my one source of creativity being my computer and drone kind of like both got taken out in the same week shocker yeah my phone got taken out in the same week as well oh, I remember man. that week being like a really big downside <laughs> right. downfall, you know? but um but through that I was like geez you know like it made me realize how much I do want to make films and how much I love it so much and I don't know if you've ever felt this and I'm sure you have but when you get busy with something you kind of like start to dread it a little bit and that's part mm. of the the curse of doing what you love for money you know you end up working really hard and it is, you enjoy every day you're doing it, but at the same time it becomes a job regardless of how, how you look at it. And, um, and I think this break that we all had to experience globally was a really refreshing period for me to re- remember how much I love, you know, telling stories and, and, and creating cool fun videos that kind of like showcase these magic moments or these, like, you know, these special times that, that are created in the ocean when, when things started popping back off, I remember surfing with, um, a lot of the the boys back at the sandbar here in Chenggu. and just kind of like, when you get out, you just watch the show of, of, you know, all the boys who had kind of hung around and kind of like the local talent, just performing and just going, geez, you know, nobody's here. Nobody's capturing this. Like it's kind of silly. So I would take like the little money that I had and rent a lens and rent a tripod. Mm -hmm. and just go jump down to the beach and start shooting yeah um back when i was a grom and i would do that it kind of gets you totally intertwined with the surf world and the surf community and the surfers themselves like when you get footage of guys and and for any up-and-coming grom that wants to get into it's like dude if you get footage of guys you build a relationship with them through that and they get excited about that you get excited about it it's beneficial for everybody and it's it's the best way to kind of get things going again so when i started doing that it kind of like reinvigorated this like love i have for it and this opportunity i saw for it Just Going, let me show what i can do and uh, and jump back into this world a bit so
0: yeah and i think uh it first caught my attention i don't know if it was on your instagram or your youtube but i saw that clip you made called you missed it and that to me really encapsulates what the sandbar changu echo beach scene is all about Fun beach break peaks with Loke Dogs ripping, chilling on the beach, black sand, super hot, having a flat white, maybe a coconut and a bintang afterward. And the vibes and the music is just freaking on point. Was that one of the first ones that you had released out of those series that you're doing? Yeah,
1: no, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, the you missed it. The first you missed it was something I did just kind of just for the love of it. It was like, oh, I'm going to go shoot this. It was a really good day. And I saw it on the forecast and and was talking to guys like Chalk and Charlie and just going, oh, this is going to be really, um, a fun, like good day, no wind. And, um, and went down there and ended up shooting the whole day and and got some just really fun stuff. It wasn't like all time surfing, you know, but it was, it was fun and it was guys ripping. And through that, I just kind of like, I used this girl that I've been seeing Anna, like I used her computer, just edited up this little piece and I had this little track that I was really into. It's was like, oh, this is just like got the vibe and ended up putting that out and got a really cool response. And that kind of, like I said, it fired up a lot of the boys and it kind of like ignited this momentum to just say, Hey, let's shoot more. Let's make another one. Let's do this again. If you're standing in my shoes, if you're a filmmaker and anything and somebody kind of is excited about what you do, it's, it's just a really good feeling and something that, encourage you to keep, keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that one specifically really fired me up. And then I started trolling your uh, YouTube and started looking at a lot of clips and you recently just came out with another one called keeping secrets. Right. And that had Kelly, Kolohe, Crano, Crosby, Koa Smith and Cole Hushman, Right. Yeah. What's that one all about? Was that when Kelly was in Bali with Strider that whole time?
1: Yeah. So in October, it was kind of a really cool month. October brought um, a bunch of pros that, from the states that really hadn't you know been able to come um, before that and i think they might have come before in like september and done some boat trips and then after their boat trips they would come and post up in bali and i know chloe and those guys went to lakey peak for a while but when they came back they just stayed up at the um, surf villas in uluwatu and cole had come in from the states and gone on a boat trip with a friend of mine uh victor and when he when he came through victor hit me up and was like hey this guy cole's coming in you should just try and shoot with him You know got LinkedIn, and so cole and i were were gonna go shoot up there at um in uluwatu for an evening and i ended up going up there and kind of like showing up at this little secret zone and filming thinking that cole was going to come out at some point but he didn't end up making it up there so i was just kind of you know shooting this almost like miniature super session with all all those boys that um that kolohe brought up being like ian crane and and koa and those guys yeah, it was actually pretty fun. And it wasn't but like maybe 2 hours of, of an evening session that first session. And um and then the sun set and I remember going home being like I need to get back up here in the morning because it's going to be pumping and there's almost a guarantee that those boys are going to be back out. So I called Cole and I called up um those guys and I was like hey you know like you know if you're going to go up there in the morning again like I'll be there 100%. So I just rocked up the same place and sure enough those guys were paddling out same time I got there and just ended up filming up there all day. So filmed like you know that top angle and then went around the corner over to sunset point kind of filmed towards the other angle and and, um yeah it was i got i got lucky to be honest with you it was a bit of a magic moment and um i think jacob vanderwerk was there with chloe filming for his boat but he was actually out surfing during that time Mm -hmm. so i kind of knew in my head that nobody else was maybe capturing this it was it felt like i might have like the only angle on this, but I didn't know for sure. And Pete Frieden was just um, down the way for me and he was shooting most of it. And so I, I kind of sat on that footage for a little while, like one kind of not knowing like what to do with it exactly. And also not having a computer to edit it up with, but also kind of waiting for somebody else to put it out. I thought for sure, like if somebody's got it, they're going to post it right away. And I don't want to squash on, like, if they got a guy that they brought out to shoot, I'm not going to try and like, like take any hype away from him by putting out a clip first. Like I'm just not, I don't, yeah. I, I don't back that theory at all. Yeah. So I kind of sat on it. I ended up uh, making a little money back home and I bought a new computer out here. And, um, and I was so frothy, like edit things up on my new computer that I was going back through footage and I had all that stuff organized. And I was like, Whoa, like, this is like Chloe was doing some incredible surfing, like complete rail carbs down these, faces and
0: kolohe is gnarly at ulus like he got robbed at that event no offense to the judges but he should have been in the freaking final he was surfing like andy backside out there at ulus it was insane he's really good back there
1: yeah he has these magic sessions i think that he just turns it on and um and you can see how he can outshine some of of the best in the world for sure and then you had guys like ian crane doing really fun funky stuff and just like finding these little tubes and crosby Crosby blows my mind he, what an amazing surfer and I'm and, um, so young in his career like he's gonna have he's gonna have some some great longevity but he was also just doing some incredible rail carves and then Cole was on his forehand just doing these like laybacks that were so sick yeah Koa got like a big one and and you see Kelly in the water and I kind of shot Kelly the whole evening and he didn't really like he was kind of like finding these little moments but not really like the ones and then he got that absolute mental tube that he just thread the needle on, on the last one. And, and he went in on that one and it was like, that I, I kind of packed up after that. Cause all the boys had kind of had their fix, you know, and then most people had gone in, I think Kelly was the last one in. Mm-hmm. And I remember packing up being like, wow, like that day kind of <laughs> produced. Yeah. So whenever I looked through back on that footage down the road, maybe in January or so, I remember just looking back on, wow, like there's some pretty cool moments here. And then there's this track that stood out to me from actually one of fish's uh world tour managers in brazil this guy kim jackson is an absolute legend and an amazing artist and he started this group that i was watching during quarantine called um chimera and the king crabs okay and they have like an epic journey of like music exploration and they put out this one track and you know when you hear a track and it just sticks with you like i have to know what that is just found it. And I sat on that for months. just kind of like listening to it on my headphones. Like whenever I'd kind of be in these like, you know, weird trivia mindsets. And um, when I saw this footage, I was like, Oh, I've been waiting to do something with this track. This could be it. So those, that pairing I think worked really well. and, And, um, and yeah, it all kind of just worked out and I was, I was stoked to put that, that clip out.
0: Yeah, dude. Well, you've been crushing it on that. And do you have plans to continue to do filmmaking Outside of surfing there in Bali, while you're at it, you said earlier that you kind of did some social projects all about like social subjects and other subjects outside of surfing. Do you have plans on doing local stuff there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My brother is really into social injustice, uh, Sean Carrasso. So I'm always inspired by that that form of storytelling. Him and some of his friends back home, like Daniel Johnson and just set the big crew. They put together some amazingly powerful moving pieces. and And I'd love to try and work with the communities in different ways to produce that, but haven't really found that kind of inside just Mm. yet, but I have been fortunate to work on some music videos with a guy named Crow from Germany. That's Mm. um, an amazing artist and kind of hip hop artist, but also is like an eclectic musician and and music maker. Yeah, man, got a Lakey strip coming up with with some more surfers um, next week as well. And yeah, I would love to do some like social justice stuff, or at least like show, kind of some of the community and like what the hardships have been throughout the last few months for them and kind of also right. like where they've been able to put their energy, whether it's been family or creative projects at home or whatever it's been. But I'm I'm really just inspired and encouraged to produce as many stories as I can while I'm here. I like yeah. feel so lucky and and thankful to be here every day that if I can, you know, share my my gifts in those ways and put point the camera at people who who deserve it. And um, and who have a story to tell, or who have something that can inspire people back home. I think, you know, that's not just a duty, but a, a an opportunity that, like, I, I don't want to pass up on, you know. And it's um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm like, I, like you said, I'm I'm thankful for, and thankful to be here to to be able to be a part of it.
0: I love hearing that because I feel like a lot of people, when they first think of Bali, they think of this influencer blogger spot where hey, let's go get drinks, dance, and you know, almost take advantage of this incredible land filled with locals who are so giving and a culture that's so rich and different where people who actually go and they can say, hey, this place is meaningful to me. It's given me so much. The least I can do is give back. I really respect because it can be seen as a playground and people mistreat it that way. But when you start realizing like similar to surfing in the ocean, how much these places have given to us, how much to me Bali has given to me every time I go there, from the locals just laughing at everything you do to, you know, they'll take the shirt off their back to like make sure you're having a good time and you feel safe. And it's just an incredible place with the culture. And I'm so intrigued by the offerings every morning, the smell, the sights and everything about Hinduism, like such a great place to see people who are inspired by that and want to give back is very great to hear. Like I'm stoked, that really stokes me out. Yeah, I do hope to continue to watch your films. I do know there was a couple projects that were helping out some locals like Project Nazi, The People Must Makan. And then recently I had seen Binzi, my buddy had posted that there was an unfortunate fire at Echo Beach at Surfer's Bar. Were you around during that time?
1: yeah so so gamook at service bar and and just to just to um backtrack a little bit i totally back what you're saying as far as like you know people coming here as a playground and and um and the community and, and the locals are so giving to their space and their island that um that they end up being able you know people that come here as a playground just are able to do that and it's not really frowned upon but i think when you stay here for an extended period of time and you realize um how benefited people can be from you know, other people willing being willing to help out or, or do what they can to help. It's just it's super inspiring. And the people here deserve it more than anything because they're just an, a beautiful culture and beautiful people. A beautiful person to kind of like highlight is a guy Gamuk, who um owns Surfers Bar, um a local guy that is an absolute shredder. And um yeah, there's an unfortunate circumstance where the Warung next door had the roof blown off of it one night in a storm. Um, really crazy winds came through and blew their blew their roof off, and they kind of tried to do a, a bit of a repair the next day. But another storm came through, and they're thinking that like water must have got into the where it was um, where they did the repair and done an electrical short or some something. That's kind of I think the baseline synopsis of what happened. It ended up burning down two or three of those warungs, and um, Surfers Bar was one of them. And if you've ever been to Echo Beach, Surfers Bar is is a pretty highlighted hangout for um for a lot of people it's kind of where the, a lot of the aussies kind of hang but yeah it's it just got the vibe and it's 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 i mean o3 and and yeah. a lot of those ones down the way they're all really fun and i give my props to all of them like the sushi one and,
0: for sure yeah uh, those guys at O3 treated me really well too those guys are ledge dogs as well they're sure. great yeah i would just bounce back between surfers and O3 and
1: like my four favorites that i kind of jump between but anyway It was super unfortunate, man. A few of them just absolutely burnt down. So I came the next day, whenever you see it online, you're just going, oh my gosh, it's kind of devastating. So I came the next day just to kind of like go talk to Kamuk. And everybody, I remember Ty's dad had just got there with like a handful of shovels um ty graham his dad just got there with a handful of shovels gloves like buckets and wheelbarrows and he's like boys jump in like let's get all this rum- rubble out of here and let's help out the best you can mm-hmm. and like i showed up kind of hung over and like i'll just have a morning walk with um with timmy and my girl hannah and we kind of just said we're not we're not going home for a minute and just kind of jumped in with ty's dad and um and just kind of helped trying to like you know, demolish it for what it was worth. We just like broke down all the old walls and, and we cleared, it helped clear the space. There was guys coming in for the rest of the day and cleared it out. And then they put up a GoFundMe page and man, it was crazy to watch the community, the surf community at large, whether they were in Australia, US, Canada, um, and Europe, kind of like get in New Zealand, like get together and just donate um, towards Gamuk, his family, and, and um, the rebuild of Surfer's Bar. So I think they raised something like I can't remember the number. We can actually take a look. I think it's like around 30
0: grand. Yeah, it's put up by Dylan. I think I have it. I'm going to leave it in the show notes. Um, They're still taking contributions. Everybody can help out. It's pretty gnarly what happened. But what you said about Ty Graham and his father, everybody coming together and helping out, that right there is like the family community within Bali that I respect so much. Again, how hospitable and how welcoming they are. And when things like that happen, when times are tough, they band together and make shit happen. Yeah. So the least that we could do from over here or listeners listening right now is donate a bit to the cause, help get the warung back to what it was because it shared so many smiles to people and so many good times. I know I spent lots of nights there having tangs and coconuts during the day and stuff. So that's the very least that they deserve is us helping them out for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, he started to rebuild now, and it looks like it's going to be just a, a really nice kind of like c- container look, and um, he's putting a little rooftop hang at the top of it, so hopefully he can come back stronger and, um, and continue to provide for his family because his wife and their kids are just adorable and, and just the most smiling, giving people that you can imagine. So, yeah, anything you can do to contribute would go a long way, and I, I know they'd much appreciate it. Right on.
0: Well, just to switch gears a little bit, um, I'm curious. Do you have plans of coming back here to San Diego or California anytime soon? Or are you just going to be <laughs> living the dream out there for a bit and making films and helping out the locals and just enjoying the life?
1: Yeah, that's probably the number one question that when I talk to friends back home, I get asked. Is like, oh, when are you coming back? And I, I ask myself that question, you know, almost daily. Like, when is it kind of time for me? But um, at this point, I feel like I said, I just feel so lucky to be here and I feel like I've been able to get connected with a really neat and inspiring and creative community of individuals who own businesses and are doing rad projects here and um, and an amazing surfer. So I kind of want to do what I can to stay here this year, right out the season and, um, and make as many films as I can and work with um, as many talented kids as I can. Um, to just make surf films and surf clips, whether it's daily stuff or start to stack clips with guys like Timmy to make like an end of the year film and, and just kind of ride out the season. And then maybe next fall, like fall back home is, is super fun for me. And I'm, I'm kind of a winter guy back home. Like I have a cabin in Utah and I just love snowboarding. And that's kind of what I missed the most over the last year. Like my friends, obviously my mom and my brother, and then kind of snowboarding and just like being in the, in the snow and, and like that also like road trips, you know, like, there's one thing about being able to go to the desert and like check out these different environments. Mm-hmm. But I think when as, as San Diego comes back into summer, like I've been kind of living in a perpetual summer. So the idea of going back for that, you know, South swells and, and summertime isn't necessarily as appealing as kind of being out here for it because it's kind of when the main season kind of starts. So I'll probably ride that out. And then, you know, come September, October, I'll kind of rethink it and see if, if things are calling me back home and responsibilities kind of I've stacked up enough that I need to make it back. And if it, at that point it's time to go back home, I'll um, happily go back and, and make a trip home, do what I need to do, and then probably be trying to figure out how I can get back here as soon as possible. <laughs> right. Well,
0: if I was you, and uh, as Billy Madison once said, don't ever leave, if I was you, <laughs> just stay as long as you can. I've been loving this conversation and I appreciate so much of your time. And I'd kind of like a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if there's any Groms out there anybody whatever age trying to aspire to become a filmmaker you've obviously had a great career doing it you've had great different pathways is there any tidbits of advice that you could give to them to try to make it happen
1: uh, one yeah go for it 100 percent go for it it's it's probably given me some of the best times of my life so I totally encourage people to to jump behind the camera and um, and give your best shot at at learning editing software and just you know trying to st- tell stories or find stories or just start to film those magic moments, um, anywhere near your home or, you know, in places that are inspiring to you. And I would almost say like, don't worry about, don't think about the money. I think that'd probably be my like biggest advice piece is like, don't worry about the money. Don't think about trying to make money necessarily from every client. I think doing free work at times is, is a great way of building relationships. And I think that the business itself is somewhat largely built on relationships. I think, um, a lot of the trips or, or gigs or, projects that i've been able to be a part of have largely been you know 50 on what i can do and 50 percent on how what kind of relationship or how easy it is to hang uh with that group or that person so yeah man put yourself out there go do stuff that inspires you makes makes you feel uh, um stoked gives you those little tinglys inside and also um just work hard like you know go stand out there in the, in the sun go hike up the mountains um run with people get your get your camera in places that a lot of people May, might not be, and, um, and then try and dig in deeper to figure out what kind of story you can create out of that that would hopefully inspire people to do something similar or to, to be outside and go, go get a part of it. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers, and I look forward to seeing just the amazing creativity that comes out of um, the new generations.
0: That's perfect. Two things you said that stuck out to me was, one, just get out there and do it. It doesn't matter your age, whatever your race, wherever you're living, wherever your financial background is. The first thing is to eliminate that self-doubt and just freaking start doing it. And number two, follow those tingly feelings of inspiration. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Like, I love having these types of conversations, tapping into creativity and the things that make us motivated and froth and tingle and shit like that. So you, my friend, have certainly inspired a lot of froth in me and a lot of inspiration. I appreciate your films and everything that you've been doing. It's been quite a journey and I look forward to seeing more. With that being said, do you have any social plugs you wanna throw out there? You've got Insta, you've got YouTube. What else you got going on? Go ahead and throw it here. I'll put it up in the links.
1: (laughs) Oh, cheers. But likewise to you, my man, you've, uh, you've inspired me in big ways and I, I definitely froth that on your froth. Your, um, your energy is just absolutely contagious. So I absolutely love it. And I'm really stoked to, to be chatting with you right now, but, um, I'd say, man, check out the froth cast hundred <laughs> percent subscribe, like, um, no, but, um, but no, my, my YouTube channel, i would be stoked if people follow that just because that's one of the things I'm trying to grow at the moment. Um, not only to do surf stuff, but also be able to tell different stories and have like, Um, a bit of an independent following in that way. And um, yeah, I think like you said, Nasi, the Nasi project has done some amazing things here in Bali. Uh, Super cool. You know, there's a lot of like up and coming Groms that I think are worthy of mention, like Keon Martin and Katut and Rio and um, these guys that are coming up from this island that uh, might not have the reach that they deserve being in such like a smaller kind of community, but are just absolutely amazing surfers and, and deserve kind of your attention and deserve like any credit that they get and trips that they might get on. So yeah, those guys I can deserve everything they get. And um, maybe just Ty Graham, just can't thank him enough. Can't thank Fish and Chloe enough for for having a wedding out here and bringing me out here. And then um, obviously my buddy James Mitchell, who's uh, who I've been living with, um, who's just opened up a whole world to me as well. So you know, Charlie Stambo and just guys who have kind of like, you know, believed in my talent and been able to, to push me into more, more opportunities. I'm really thankful for those cats. And um, yeah, man, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing without those guys for sure.
0: That's epic to hear. And yeah, much love to Bali, all the locals, Thai fish dog living the dream out there and everybody who has been so kind to me in Bali and will continue to be so kind to you, the Island of the gods, they call it that for I mean, it should be a no brainer. They always supply and they are always watching and taking care. So thank you so much. Terima Kasi Banyak Bali, freaking legends. Brett, you are a demand. I really appreciate your time, dude. I can't thank you enough. And let's do it again. And I look forward to what you put out next, man. Keep doing it because you're killing it.
1: Thanks so much, my boy. It's a pleasure fucking talking to you. And I'm really, really honored to be a part of your podcast, dude. Thanks so much. You.
0: All right, that's it, dogs, for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And another massive thank you to Brett for his time and inspiration. Terima kasih banyak. Make sure you support him and follow his YouTube and Instagram under the name Bretton Carrasso, as surely he'll be cooking up some more froth that you won't want to miss. We're all about supporting the creativity, the curiosity, and the froth here at the FrothCast. Also, please be sure to check out and donate to all the projects that I mentioned before that support Bali locals and help them in this time of need. Just to name a few, Project Nazi, the People Must Makan, the Echo Beach Fire GoFundMe page, and various other organizations that give back to the place and the people we love so much. I will leave them all in the show notes of this episode, so please check that out. And to you, I say Thank you for listening and frothing with me. Your support and your ears mean everything to me. I love it. I love you. Let's froth together, my friend. All right, I'll be seeing you next time. This was epic. Thank you.